Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Even though I am clear about the lack of strength from elected leadership in Indianapolis and civic leaders in Indianapolis, we should be clear that this city is doing some pretty incredible things. Tony Katz, good to be with you. You've got a VCon coming to town, which is small and economic impact, very large in opportunity. And then you have the investments coming from what we've already done with sports in Indianapolis long before you and I got here, or should I should at least say I got here, and how that's starting to pay off in other ways. Gary Dick joins us right now from InsideIndianaBusiness.com on Twitter at IIB. You can follow Gary personally at G-E-R-R-Y at Gary Dick on the Twitter box. I want to talk about VCon uh, first. Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V., who I remember from his days uh, at South by Southwest, basically standing on a soapbox talking about wine, um, has built quite an operation. Neil Patrick Harris is coming to town. Drew Barrymore, Jessica Alba, Buster Rhymes, Timberland, all coming in this massive, massive event uh, this weekend. And the conversation here is that it might not bring huge dollars to the city, but it brings a lot of eyeballs via social media to the city. Yeah, yeah, no question about it, Tony. Uh, VCon, I believe this is the second uh, annual uh, VCon, as you mentioned. High-profile speakers. In fact, I think there are something like 200 uh, speakers who are going to participate uh, in this uh, in this event, talking about business, marketing, uh, innovation, pop culture. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you talk about the, the economic impact, per se, perhaps not um, uh, really large. But in terms of eyeballs, social media, and also exposure to Indianapolis, what's happening here, those types of things, that is going to be something that's going to happen big time with this event. It's going to be at Lucas Oil Stadium. And uh, I'm anxious to see how it plays out because it is a different event, a different kind of event for Indianapolis. And I think the opportunity uh, from a visibility standpoint is, uh, is, is big. And the tickets for this event are not tickets. Uh, they're NFTs. You got to have an NFT that is connected to an app in order to be able uh, to get in, which is a very unique way of uh, as people try and look for worlds outside the standard ticketing world and certainly ensure uh, the, the, the safety of, of these kinds of, of things. This is a, a way to do it. Um, the names that are going to be there, the social media influence uh, that they have talking about Indianapolis, it certainly does require that Indianapolis is doing its best to be able to be shared as a, a great city. But I, I think that this is furthering the tech conversation of mm-hmm. Indianapolis. I have argued yeah. that what Indy needs is more of the arts to bring more people to it. Does Indianapolis need more of the tech to bring more business to it and maybe fill some of this office space that's empty? Yeah, a combination. And, and I think you're right when you talk about culture, you talk about music. And, and, and actually, there's a, an emerging effort here to try to make Indianapolis more of a, quote-unquote, music town. It's not going to be Nashville but in that vein, getting uh, getting more entertainers and, uh, again, those eyeballs on, on Indianapolis. I think when it comes to technology or business in general, you and I have talked about it uh, many, many times, quality of place, quality of life, those types of things. As you bring in arts and culture as, as part of that, 
and especially uh, in the tech community, it looked very heavily at uh, a city and, and its, uh, its entertainment uh, offerings. I think the VCon uh, model uh, and, and what, it, what it brings is something that could be positive for Indianapolis. Now let's take a look at some of those other subjects, specifically as we talk about Indiana as a sports tech hub. It's a story that Mickey Shuey has over at the IBJ, your sister of publication, and you've been uh, talking about and looking at what does it mean to be sports tech and how does Indianapolis play into that? Yeah, and I, and I think there are those who would say this is a perfect combination of what Indianapolis has to offer, emerging tech scene, and, and obviously it's a long reputation uh, as a sports town, hosting the biggest sporting events in the world. Uh, uh, each and every year at the Indianapolis 500, we've hosted Super Bowls and, and, and big events. How do you take both of those, put them together, sports tech, so it's technology around uh, sports, could be uh, sports performance uh, ticketing, things that enhance the fan experience, uh, safety-type uh, things around the world of sports. And India, there's a real belief the Indiana Economic Development Corporation uh, is kind of a parent uh, organization, if you will, for this Sports Tech HQ, which opened uh, a, almost a year ago here in Indianapolis. And according to reporting of Mickey Shuey there at the IBJ, uh, it's really been gaining some traction, some momentum, uh, events, programming, uh, and other types of things happening here. Indianapolis, again, getting eyeballs, not just around the country, but around the world from companies, emerging companies, startups in this sports tech space. One of the things the story mentions is that the IEDC, the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, has invested over $2.5 million in something called Sports Tech HQ, an arm of the IEDC. Uh, about $475,000 has been spent on staff compensation, general operations, and marketing. I guess the question is, does every time we want to attract a certain group of people, does it require us to put $2.5 million out here, $2.5 million out there? Does the, the, the money that we spend through the IEDC, do we ever question whether or not that money has to be spent at all? Uh, it can be questioned, uh, absolutely. And when you talk about incentives, which is uh, really gets the most attention, uh, we look at individual companies that the IEDC or any local economic development group uh, is using. Uh, there is that um, scrutiny, or there can be. Does it make sense? There's it's an age-old debate back and forth. Uh, you know, are incentives needed to attract companies to keep companies? Uh, and, and I think if you talk to economic development folks and those people in the business who are doing it day in and day out, they will say, yes, there has to be a level of investment, uh, whether it be marketing or, or in, in incentive type, incentive based uh, things to help make uh, make it all happen. I, it's it's this constant. It's like what's going on in Noblesville, where the the Mad Ants, the G yeah. League team of the Indiana Pacers, are coming to Noblesville. Noblesville is going to build uh, this whole center, and it's like, why are we publicly funding this? And and Mayor uh, Jensen has said, well, well they're going to pay us a million a year for a place they're going to use for about forty nights, and we're going to have this facility that we're going to be able to use all year round, uh, and so it's a win win. Is that the way the people see it? Well, good question, Tony. I'm sure some do and some do not. But I think the Noblesville story, which I thought was very interesting last week with the announcement, it caught a lot of people by surprise. Did it catch you by surprise? I mean, I I will tell you I was floored when I heard the story. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I was too. But you dig in a little deeper. If you look at what's happening in the NBA, uh, a number of these NBA franchises are moving their G League, their development uh, uh, teams closer to home. Uh, I think the Orlando Magic just announced not long ago they're moving theirs, uh, their G League team much closer to Orlando, a suburb, I think, basically, of Orlando, Portland. Their new G League team is going to be in Portland. So I think it's part of a trend. And if you think about it from a business standpoint for the Pacers, uh, you've got the ability for uh, you know players to to be in Noblesville, to be down at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, working out with the same uh, you know trainers and coaches and those types of things. So a lot of synergy for the Pacers, and it's also interesting, Tony. I think you mentioned that arena. Uh, so there's going to be an arena there for the G League uh, team. Not going to be the Mad Ants. I don't know what the name's going to be, but uh, uh, Fisher's building an arena too uh, for the Indy Fuel, the hockey team as well. So we're looking at these mini arenas, if you will, uh, outside of downtown Indianapolis, you know, popping up in Hamilton County, both Fisher's and, uh, and Noblesville. My thanks to Gary Dick, InsideIndianaBusiness.com, on Twitter at IIB. These things, the, these, what do you call them, stadiums, entertainment venues, however it is you want to describe them, they don't, they don't have universal appeal. They don't have universal love. There are people very upset with where this thing is being built in Noblesville. Very, very upset. In the middle of, of residential, it's going to cause massive, tra- massive traffic heartaches. Uh, lots and lots of issues. It's like the people who are there in, in Lebanon who are not happy with what has happened with Eli Lilly. You mean the state captures the land of of Lebanon and then gives it away? Well, is is that what we wanted? There are these things that take place where the, the growth is done at some level of sacrifice. The issue of land being stolen, well, people got to go about explaining how exactly they feel that that's taking place. The idea that we have to build a taxpayer expense, some facility for you to be able to profit off of, that's just madness. That's how people feel about the stadium issue. But the other side of the coin is when you have these things, you're considered um, better. There's no doubt that cities that have a major league team are considered more developed, more worthwhile, more valuable than cities that don't, which is why cities do indeed compete for these things. But they're competing for them in in also the the pricing of the stadiums. You mean I have to build a multi-billion dollar stadium for you? Maybe that's not worth it. Which is why the minor league thing is so fascinating. Whether we're talking about the Indy Fuel for hockey or uh, the Indy 11 for soccer. The, the minor league thing, what if you can get entertained at half the cost? What if you can get entertained, but you don't have to spend multi-billions of dollars on a facility? You might have to spend something, though, because the way of the world is you're going to spend something. Whether I like it or not is inconsequential. I'm just discussing the factual reality. I think that there is a moment, an opportunity for really this minor league explosion if you make the experience the same. If the experience can be something, whether for an individual or for a couple or really for a family, where you can afford to go and you can get the amenities, doesn't necessarily matter if we're talking about hockey, if it's the Indy Fuel or the Chicago Blackhawks. Does... I'm asking because I don't think it does. 
if if you could see good basketball right around the corner from your house at a fraction of the cost of an NBA game, wouldn't it, doesn't that have some allure to it? Some some attraction to it? I, I would argue that it does. And then a facility that could be used for other things for the town, yes. Being put in a residential, yes, there are going to be people who are angry about that. Or really, I think it's really close to a residential. Um, the the Lebanon Eli Lilly thing, that's another story. I'm surprised there aren't even lawsuits about that. It's about how much do the people have to spend to make somebody else a, 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 a profit? How much do other people have to spend to make somebody else the money? What are they really getting out of it? And I think that story is, is ill-told and... It's not wrong for the people to say, well, the the Pacers or the 11 or the Colts or whomever it may be, they got a pony up. It's theirs. They're the ones getting the benefit. They got a pony up. I think that, I think there's something legitimate to that. I think there's a real anger about that. But I like the growth. I do. I won't lie. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. No doubt the public does not want these type of cuts, but if these cuts are attached to it and you're a trained lawyer, one of the many things in your background, do you think the better option would be for the president to invoke the 14th Amendment to raise the debt limit if it came to that? I'm sure the White House is in the business right now of trying to think that through to understand what that tool would look like. It's not something that we've done before. I do think the best path forward is for Congress to come up with a strong solution here for us to do our job on a bipartisan basis. But the 14th Amendment exists for a reason. It is there in part to make sure that this kinds of politics and these kinds of games are not played, that the United States meets its obligations. So I think it's a backstop. I don't think we're there yet yet, but I'm sure the White House Counsel Office is very, very busy this weekend taking a look at the 14th Amendment. Katie Porter is unaware that they've already come to the conclusion that the president cannot unilaterally remove the debt limit. That's not the way any of this works. I don't know how many more times we have to say this. That's just not how it works. That's not how it works. That's not how any of this works. But it's Katie Porter. She's not worried about how it works. She's worried about how it plays politically. Remember, it's not easy going to work every day to be a colleague of Marjorie Taylor Greene. That's a commentary from a member of Congress. That's what she said on, on Stephen Colbert's show. Also, she's doing late night TV. As if she's somebody, as if she's a player. She had one of the worst weeks in politics a few weeks back, especially considering we've learned that her divorce, maybe she wasn't the best of people. You're right. I should know nothing about her divorce, but it's been made public and she wants to make a certain statement. Other people are going to disagree. And I tend to to be with the people who disagree. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. What's going on? 833-468-8669. 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show the debt limit still isn't figured out and democrats are not acting like this is a big deal they are convinced that what republicans are going to crack maybe they will look if you got history on your side they're republicans they're they're the party of stupid i actually have exclusive audio of the republicans trying to figure out what to do next we should be clear this is the party of stupid these people 
are are not usually the people who stand strong. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. That's what makes Kevin McCarthy so interesting, that he has delivered some serious victories. Now, on this debt limit, where the Republicans have already passed a legislation, already through the House, they've raised the debt limit, but they're going to keep spending levels at 2022 levels. That's it. And then people are screaming, oh, that's a cut. It's not a cut. Well, you're telling veterans they won't get as much services. That's not true at all. Why don't you, Joe Biden, recognize that we simply don't have the money? You can't just borrow your way into prosperity. Everything is bad in this economy. A lot of it having to do with you. And you have to deal with your reality. Grow up. Why can't that get said? You see how they call it a cut, right? We want to spend this much. You want to keep spending just where it was last year. Ergo, the political left says that's a cut. The political left has to be told to kiss off. We don't have the money. I've got 100 programs I can cut, though, and never touch veterans anything. Oh, yeah. Oh, we can put more money towards veterans. McCarthy, Speaker McCarthy says more money is going to veterans. But some people may have to get cut. You're right. And they should be. And those cuts should be permanent. And a lot of those programs should be gone. Grow up. The things that you keep telling us that matter and important, you have to have this, you have to have that, you have to have the other. You can't have it all. It's time to prioritize. Grow up. We see you and you're not really good at this financial management. We see you and we recognize that you don't know how to run a country. We see you and we realize that we, the adults in the room, have to take charge. So these 592 programs have got to go. Oh, no, no, no. They can't all be equally important. No, 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 no. They can't be. It cannot be equally as important that we fund a study on albino rhinos as it is making sure veterans get their coverage. It cannot be as important. One has to be more important than the other. You pick. Pick. You pick. Now, if you want to pick the albino rhinos, you, you, you feel free. You, I didn't mean rhinos politically. Maybe I should have picked something other than rhinos. But you want to pick the albino rhinos, you go right ahead and pick the albino rhinos. Me, I'm going to pick veterans. I'm going to pick the veterans. Or is it veterans? Veterans. V-E-T-E-R-A-N-S? Yeah, I got it right. Veterans. That's who I'm picking. So the albino rhino is not going to get a study this year or next year or ever again. We have plenty of programs that we can cut and that we should cut. All we have to actually do is go about cutting them and saying out loud that some things matter and some things don't, and that's the way it is. As for Representative Katie Porter on there with uh, the former press secretary, Jen Psaki, with her show on MSNBC, doesn't matter what she says. Oh, she was a lawyer. She's got so much experience. You, you now trust the lawyers, do you? Is that it? Here, for a word on decency, we go to the lawyers. Stop it. Katie Porter has embarrassed herself plenty, this unserious member of Congress. I don't think I'm going to be looking to her for her expertise anytime soon. I'm also not looking to MSNBC. That's another subject for another day. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today.
The Indiana Democratic Party wants to rewrite history, specifically to the idea of culture wars in the state of Indiana. Let us at least start with a baseline. It was not the Republican Party that said children should be allowed to mutilate themselves. It was not the Republican Party that stated, hey, we should have porn in school libraries, you know, where eight-year-olds and nine-year-olds are getting books. None of that was, was the Republican Party. The Republican Party wasn't saying, hey, we shouldn't have any rules regarding abortion at all. That's, that's just not what happened. But the political left got along with this idea that somehow a 12-year-old should be able to decide their own gender and engage in gender mutilation. And not only should that happen, teachers should keep things from parents. Teachers shouldn't share when kids use certain pronouns or certain names. My gosh, if a teacher shares that, the child will no longer trust the teacher. No one cared about whether or not the parent trusted the teacher because they don't care about the parent. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Oh my gosh, you don't want these books in a school library? What are you, about banning books? Is that the kind of animal you are? We're talking about teaching eight-year-olds about oral sex or anal sex, and that should be in a school library? Man, if you want that, you are weird. You are weird, and if you were somebody online or with a windowless van, we'd have you arrested. All of a sudden, it's education, and that's your, that's your ticket out? That's your ticket to kid porn? Weird stuff. Then there was gas stoves. Remember when they told you you're being ridiculous because you're worrying about the gas stove and nobody's coming after your gas stove and then they started creating legislation against gas stoves and the state of New York voted to not allow gas stoves in new construction over the course of the next couple of years depending on the height of the building? They did this. They did all of this every last bit of this and then they said of you for noticing that you're guilty of a culture war the left did this the left does something ridiculous the political right says what in the world are you doing and the political left says you see culture wars this brings us to a story that was in the Indianapolis Star. And the story in the Indianapolis Star said the following. In recent years, conventions looking for host cities want to know what social laws may impact attendance. This according to Chris Gall, an executive at Visit Indy. And then it goes to a story at the Indy Star, but I don't pay for the Indy Star, so I don't get to read the story. I will say the following. Chris Gall of Visit Indy is one of the more decent people I've ever met. He's a professional. He's smart. He's prepared. He is serious about bringing convention business to the state of Indiana, bringing dollars to, to Indiana and selling the Indiana opportunity. He is... A good dude. And if he is stating, well, yeah, people ask these questions. I absolutely believe that people ask the questions. The question before us is, does any of that matter? In the piece on the Indy Star, they they share a quote 
There's a strong feeling that states that actively discriminate against trans people, and specifically trans kids, are not states that we can do conventions in. That is a quote from Jacob Chen, New York-based member of the National Asia Pacific American Bar Association's LGBTQ network. Member of the organiz- members of the organization protested hosting an event in Indianapolis due to the state's socially conservative laws. If you think it's okay for children to determine their own medical futures and engage in surgeries to mutilate themselves, allow me to say thank you for not having a convention in our city. Let's fight. The argument before us in this this kind of conversation is exactly what I stated. Whether or not it pays for us to give up our souls for a convention. If Chris Gall is is giving quotes and, and making statements about, yeah, people ask this or ask that, that's that's not him being political. That's him being honest. If indeed, okay, this is what we're being asked. This is what gets brought up. Here's the number of cases that get brought up, gets brought up in, and here's the dollars lost based on those the answers that we give, which are based on our legislation. That's not him being in any way political. And no one should give that dude a hard time. Chris again unbelievably decent cat and I think an honest cat and he would explain to you yes this is happening the question for us as Hoosiers is whether or not there's an issue with it if the uh, National Asian Pacific American Bar Association's LGBTQ network doesn't want to have an event in Indianapolis because we have legislation that protects children from gender mutilation I'm fine with not having their business. As a matter of fact, good. Because I don't think I want a convention of people who are okay with the mutilation of children. Now, people could disagree with me. Now, I consider those people to be super ugly and rather dangerous and shouldn't be around kids, but neither here nor there. We could have a whole myriad of subjects, like, for example, it could be about abortion, and there are people who won't have an event in the state of Indiana because we are a state that says life matters. We're a state that says life matters. And we've got rules, and right now it's being contested in, in the courts. Of course it's being contested in the courts. Uh, but we've got, we've got a theory, we've got a belief, and we're not afraid to say so. There could be people who say, well, we're not going to do business in the state of Indiana. We're not going to have our convention there. Okay. Okay, and you can answer, you can have your convention in Illinois. They'll, they'll, take a look at Chicago. They'll kill anybody. So sure, go ahead. By the way, I'm not trying to be callous. I'm trying to explain, although that was pretty callous. I'm trying to explain that you might not get everything for a whole bunch of different reasons. And some of those reasons have got to be okay. We're not about to say, you know what, abortion up to and including the moment of birth, recreational abortion is fine and good. As a matter of fact, you could abort three-year-olds as well. What the hell? That's just not who we are. So if we lose something over it, so be it. What I have not yet seen is a data point. We've heard this from the CEO of Salesforce, Mark Benioff, who, uh, I don't know about you, aren't we tired of his shtick already? Aren't we just tired of, of this constant attack in Indiana? When you're in San Francisco, you've got human feces all over the place, crime all over the place. Dave Chappelle coming out the other day saying, this town sucks. Everything's the tenderloin. 
No, I'm not. No, Hoosiers. I don't. I don't mean the delicious tenderloin. I mean the area of San Francisco that's always been trash, and now the whole city is trash, and a business can't stay open. But Mark Benioff doesn't offer those people fifty thousand dollars to move to Indiana. But oh my gosh, we've got some restrictions and regulations in Indiana. Here's fifty thousand dollars to move out of the state. Pathetic. That's not leadership. It's ideological claptrap. I wish Mark Benioff wasn't like that, but he is like that. So maybe Indiana isn't the place for him. Maybe our welcoming and opening society isn't the place for you. Do we really want somebody who's constantly attacking the state, belittling the state, shaming the state, and never noticing that San Francisco is a cesspool? Indiana thrives, Indiana grows, Indiana builds. San Francisco is all over the streets. And yet Benioff wants to give us a hard time. That's political. It's not factual. Just like the thing about uh, Jacob Chen and the National Asia Pacific American Bar Association's LGBTQ network. It's political, not factual. Be political. Don't bring your convention here. That's okay. We're not going to change who we are. We're not going to change who we are in standing up uh, for for the unborn or standing up uh, for, for children and against people who want to abuse both. It's clear that we're not the state for you if these things, abusing children, matter more than not abusing children. But let's, let's leave that to the side for a moment and get back to this idea of culture war. The political left decided that let's go after children, let's confuse children, let's push autistic children into this uh, gender dysphoria conversation, this gender, uh, this this genital mutilation conversation, and let's do all of this in the guise of trying to tear down standards and norms. Let's do all this in the guise of saying that there are no rules. Let's do all this so we can cleave children from their parents and engage legislation like they have in Washington State that say that parents shouldn't have rights and we can take children if you don't affirm their gender and all the rest of, of the sick and twisted and then the left does all this and the political right says hey what are you doing and then all of a sudden the left says see look another culture war this was how the indiana democrats put this story from the indy star republican slate of hate and constant focus on culture wars only hurts indiana's ability to retain talent attract businesses and recruit events We need laws that welcome all. We don't need laws that say it's okay to abuse children. And I think that the Indiana Democratic Party is super weird for saying that we do. As a matter of fact, I don't know how anybody belongs to the party. I don't know how anybody donates to the party. They're saying we should have laws on the books that say that children can mutilate themselves because their parents say they can, and that's a good thing. Weirdos. You're willing to do that to get one convention? Holy cow. Look, I'm the capitalist, and even I'm like, whoa. Maybe that's a little extreme. Look at the extent that you're willing to go. Look at the the, the desires for destruction uh, that you have. But most importantly, Republicans' culture wars? You started this. What kind of revisionist history is this from the failures at the Indiana Democratic Party? Dear Lord, could you win one statewide election? You couldn't beat Diego Morales. 
Why in the world would I listen to you? But look how dirty, man. You did this. You did this. You know what's going to attract more business? Lower taxes and less regulation. So are you in the business of lower taxes and less regulation? No, I didn't think so. By the way, the Republican Party isn't in enough of the business of low taxes and less regulation or lower taxes and less regulation. Oh, I got many issues with the Republican Party of Indiana. Don't you worry about that. But the one thing that they didn't do was engage the culture war. Being pro-life is not a culture war. Not thinking it's okay to kill a baby while it's being born isn't a culture war. It's the rational side of an argument. Don't kill babies is the rational side of the coin. Everything else is weird and also murder. It's weird, top line. We'll put the murder part underneath just to make it, you know, interesting. Holy cow. But look at how they say it. They, they're, they're, they're so proud of themselves. You hear this all the time, the Republicans and their culture wars. One of the arguments that, that's long been made is that the left will always accuse you of the thing that they're doing. The left is, is absolutely at war. And the culture that they're at war with so often is your family. I mean, break it down. Take a look at it. They're at war with the idea that it's your kid. Remember, they don't believe it's a kid. They believe it takes a village. They believe your kids belong to all of us, that you shouldn't have a say in schools, that only the teachers know what's best, and you shouldn't be able to have a say if your kid needs gender-affirming care, like how Washington State has handled it. You'll see other people push for it, that if you're not going to give gender-affirming care, that you're a threat to your children. You shouldn't be allowed to know if your kids are using a certain pronoun because, my gosh, you may throw your kid right out of the house. Chris Paulson of the Indiana Youth Group, she said exactly this. One in four kids will be thrown out of the house, and two of the other three will be scared to live there. Translation, the parent is bad and can't be trusted. The parent is the problem. The parent is the issue. The kid knows best. In what society does the kid know best? They're a freaking kid. Children need to be protected more often than not from themselves. Yet the political left and the Indiana Democratic Party is like, nope, nope, nope. Gotta do whatever the kids want. The kids are in charge. The kids have the control. The kids have the say. What is that like for the 12-year-old who believes that they're in charge and they're told they're in charge and every day they're told they're in charge and then they become like a 21-year-old and all of a sudden they're not in charge anymore? That's got to be weird. That's got to be really weird at 21 to be like, nope, nope, nope. The 12-year-olds decide and we just follow. (laughs) people aren't serious we can attract business we can attract talent we can recruit events of course we can in indiana but we just got to accept the fact that sometimes you can't win them all and sometimes that's okay because to win some conferences we might have to i don't know sell our souls nah it's not worth it the culture war the left started keep fighting it and win it i'm tony katz Do you have numbers? I mean, how many have been released without a mandated court date? So we released uh, a number because of the surge that we experienced before Title 42 came came to an end. Now, with the 50 percent drop in the number of encounters at our southern border, we are executing our consequence regime exactly as planned. 
That's representative, not representative, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas not answering the question from Jonathan Carl over at ABC News. The question was, how many people did you release into America without a court date on this parole system before a judge in Florida said you can't do this? And he didn't answer the question. The Lex Luthor lookalike here, he's a really bad guy. A dishonest cat. It is very obvious that he favors an open borders regime. It is very it is very obvious that this is the way they act and operate. And yes, as we've discussed, Title Eight, which has been around since the 40s, can be seen as stronger than Title 42 in many ways. Title 42 expelled people right away. Hey, we've got a health emergency. You're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Title Eight can utilize discretion to decide whether somebody is here acceptably uh, via an amnesty claim or uh, an asylum claim, I should say. Or, nope, you came in properly, and therefore it's a five-year ban before you can come back into the country. Well, it all depends on who's going to enforce that and how that's going to be enforced. But they were trying to clear rooms, so they were putting people on this parole without court hearings. Just go, 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 go into the country, have a nice day, until this judge said stop it. And now you're going to say, well, we have the amount of people coming across the border is lessened. So clearly everything we're doing is great. Well, why are why is it lessened? Well, we had uh, that conversation. It could be that Texas has a whole tactical team that they've set up razor wire and are moving people along to places or people didn't know how the law was going to impact their ability to cross. It's less people is better. But it's not because of you. And it's not because of your policies that you think things are going well is dangerous for Border Patrol and the whole of the nation. We'll get into more of this as the week progresses. I'm Tony Katz. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.